0: Good day to our listeners and welcome back to the Middle Podcast. My name is Jim Nelson. I am your host and this production continues to be a ministry of Living Word Church in Oak Harbor, Washington. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I really appreciate it and it's certainly good to have you. This season we are in a series of podcasts where we are using contemporary music lyrics to launch us into our Bibles. I got the idea of contemporary art using biblical imagery, I guess you could say I Like direct quotes and following themes or stories, it really dawned on me over the Christmas holidays that within a week I had watched a TV series, I had seen a featured-length movie and listened to music, in which each case I had said to myself, that's kind of straight out of the Bible. That quickly got me to a decision that this is where the Middle Podcast Spring Series would be, launching into our Bibles, being prompted by contemporary music. Couple of things that I want to cover really quick. First, I am not trying to redeem these words or lyrics and suggest that the song is somehow biblically motivated at all. I just don't have that personal knowledge um, to come to that conclusion. In most of the cases, I can do a bunch of research and I do. I read a lot of articles about these artists. But in the end, you know, it's hard to determine anyone's motivation unless they just come right out and tell us why they use those words or lyrics so just a launching point just the launching points and then secondly i noticed this week and without any intention on my part that i've pretty much worked consecutively through three decades in the first few weeks i started out with a 1978 release dust in the wind by kansas went to u two Silver and Gold. That was released in 1987, so that became our 80s rock illustration. And last week's choice was driven by the news of Meatloaf's passing. So you heard lyrics from a 1993 single, I'd Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. So I think I'm just going to keep moving into the 2000s this week. Just as a little trivia side note here, the album release of I'd Do Anything for Love is 12 minutes and five seconds long. It's a long time for a chart topping song. And that got me thinking, what's the longest songs ever recorded and released? You know, usually songs fit into a three to four minute kind of radio slot and don't normally go on and on like 12 minutes and five seconds. But so according to my Diligent examination. There's a lot of really long songs, and they, can, they run anywhere from 30 minutes at the minimum, these long songs, to 75 minutes long. Now, we probably have never heard these songs before. I didn't recognize any of the songs or the, uh, for that part, for the artist. But can you imagine going to a concert and sitting through just one song, and that's the show? <laughs> That's the show. Oh, that'd be so rough. That'd be rough. Okay, But anyway, but what about the songs we do know and listen to? Here's a quick list. In 2021, Taylor Swift released a 10-minute version of All Too Well, her song All Too Well, which became the longest song in history to debut at number one on the Billboard charts. She kicked out Don McLean's classic American Pie from the top of that list, which ran 8 minutes and 37 seconds. We've been listening to that a bit around here lately. It is the, 70, or the 50th anniversary of that song. Hey Jude by The Beatles clocks in at 7 minutes and 11 seconds, 1985's We Are the World, which is a famine relief collaboration song featuring most of the mid-80s most well-known artists, including people like Billy Joel, Bruce Springsteen, Michael Jackson, Cyndi Lauper, And many, many more. And then what else? One of my favorites, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a little over six minutes long, has six different distinct musical features, including a ballad, an opera, and a hard rock segment, among others. But all of that just trivia kind of to get us going. I've gone on way too long. So we're talking about the decades. This week, we'll keep that progression and move into the 2000s and pull from Imagine Dragons' 2018 single, natural. I really didn't know much about Imagine Dragons until just a few weeks ago. My wife, Kristen, and I were working over a really, really difficult jigsaw puzzle, and it's still not done yet. And she hollered out to Alexa, hey, play Imagine Dragons Greatest Hits, just for something to listen to as we hunched over our dining room table. I was surprised as the playlist started just how many Imagine Dragons songs that I had heard, but I'd never realized who they were or what music they actually composed. Here's some quick background. They are a band that started up in Utah, but moved to Las Vegas to take advantage of a bigger market and expanded opportunities to perform. And I read an interview with one of the bandmates that they describe their music as genre-less, no genre. But I've seen them described as pop rock, electro-pop, R&B, alternative rock, indie rock, and some of their songs even labeled as folk, soul, and even hip-hop. So after listening more closely, it is hard to label them as their music is definitely varied. But we're not necessarily interested in the music, we're interested in the uh, lyrics but they have been very successful over the course of the last decade they first released an ep in 2012 and since then each of their five full-length albums have been top 10 hits as highest as numbers two and three so as far as singles they've had four top 10 singles with radioactive in 2012 demons in 2013 thunder and then another one believer which both charted in 2017 as i said music great lyrics most important to this podcast in this season. So I'm really kind of, eh, let's just put it this way. I'm imagining this week's theme will develop over two weeks. So I think we'll turn it into a two-part Imagine Dragon focus, as I probably most likely will move into a related theme next week. And that's kind of Still gelling, but we'll get started with it. Let's just get started with this week. As I said earlier, my choice this week is "Natural" by Imagine Dragons, and here's the chorus where I'm going to pull from. It starts off with "Natural," a beating heart of stone. You got to be so cold to make it in this world. Yeah, you're a natural, living your life cutthroat. You got to be so cold. Yes, you're a natural. Roll. Maybe you've heard it. We are going to take that second line, a beating heart of stone, and look at a theme that runs through our Old Testament and into our New Testament scriptures that talks about hard hearts. Have you read through the scriptures and seen that term, either hard hearts or maybe a heart, actually a heart of stone? Most likely you have. We use it even in our contemporary modern day life. We harden our hearts towards something or some want ever wondered where it comes from and what it means i have and this song prompted me to do a lot more looking into it so let's get to it the heart itself is really interesting i guess from a purpose standpoint in the ancient jewish scriptures my modern you know political science minded semi scientific view is that is that of a pump Really, that's what I think of. It's, it's a pump. heart's job is to beat consecutively and rhythmically to provide the flow of blood to all the parts of our bodies. If you read through the scriptures, though, the heart is a source of many other elements in our life. Psalm 20 says that our hearts have desires. Paul in 2 Corinthians writes that our hearts make decisions. This is interesting. In First Peter, our hearts are the home of gentleness and quietness. John 14, 27 says our hearts can be troubled. And I'm going to combine a couple of proverbs here. Our hearts are the source of wisdom and trust and so much more that we could go through. The heart is our fountain of purity. Courage emerges from our hearts. We can even write things on our hearts like God's commandments or steadfast love and faithfulness. So you can see that the heart to a writer of the Old Testament Scripture was much, much more than just a miraculous pump that is impulsed from the brain. As a matter of fact, all of those descriptions I just went through, we would actually attribute to our brains, right? Desires, decisions, wisdom, all that's brain stuff, but not to an ancient Israelite. And that is why when the term is used in Scripture, hard heart or heart of stone, when it's written or heard, it would really conjure up some deep contemplation and, and quite honestly, just soul-searching. So that's all very important as background. But when we read of a hard or a stone heart, what is the accusation really targeted towards? Let's begin to look at this by reading through Ezekiel 26, 26. And it says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel was a prophet during the time of Babylonian exile, and like many other prophets, God had used him to warn Israel and even warn Israel's enemies and the conqueror, their conquerors. Shape up is what we often hear from the prophets. Get back on course. Pursue God and his commandments. Ezekiel 36 is a bit different. It's largely an encouragement. Take a look at it this week if you can and find time because it's important in understanding this idea of a heart of stone. What we read through starting in verse 8 is great news. The exiles are going to begin coming home. The cities that were ruined and uninhabited will be rebuilt and become communities again. They will be fruitful and replenish the lands, the kingdom of Israel, after crushing defeats is going to begin to recover. Then in verse 16 God uses Ezekiel to remind them of what got them into exile in the first place. Just a friendly reminder, I guess we could say. He reminds them of their own abuses and of the abuses of their conquerors. Nobody gets off easily, but but why does God warn them again? He's speaking of restoring them to a former greatness, but that encouragement contains a warning. Why is that? Could it be that God knows that while returning with gladness and hopes and dreams of white picket fences and a family puppy and all that kind of stuff, could it be that God knows the fundamental condition of their hearts has not changed? I think that's what we'll use to answer the question, what is meant by this hard heart, heart of stone term in the Bible? We'll just say it's a metaphor for the fundamental condition of the human heart. It's not as God intended it, but it's, be, it's emerged over time after the fall. And it's right about here I suddenly realize that we will have to continue this discussion next week because I'm way behind where I meant to be at this point. But anyway, we'll just begin to close with a quick description of how this heart of stone condition became humankind's reality. We could classify Adam and Eve's sin in any number of ways, but I think distrust is the best word. They didn't didn't hate God. They didn't feel like God was using them. They were convinced by a lie that they couldn't trust God fully. He was holding something back, right? So as we read through Genesis 1 through 11, we get this progression of the conditioning, the further progression of the conditioning of the human heart. So first distrust then jealousy and anger, then oppression aimed towards those who are weaker, then intense wickedness, and finally an exaltation, a lifting up, not of God, but of humankind to the level of God. It's this kind of past that informs our hearts today. And I'm not saying that we're all evil and we're all wicked. I know many, many kind and generous people, just like you do. And the Bible isn't necessarily pointing a finger at a specific person with this condition of the heart. But you can look at history, the history of humankind, right up to the present and see those descriptors that I just mentioned at work. The irony of it is that even in that fundamental condition, humankind has done some amazing things, right? We've invented, we've improved, we've moved forward. We've been generous. We've been helpful. We've created. We've done all those things. And that's the tension that the Bible is highlighting. All right, I do want to end with some encouragement. So we're going to reach back into Ezekiel 36. How is God going to cure this condition? How's he going to fix it? Look at verse 26. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and obey my will. God's plan. First, a new heart. I think of the ancient Israelite lead up to the exile and I just reverse it in my head. A heart of flesh worships and honors God. A heart of flesh starts with compassion and is driven to be a generous and helpful Person, a heart of flesh meets needs. A heart of flesh consoles. A heart of flesh teaches. A heart of flesh responds with kindness. A heart of flesh loves other people. Now, that probably sounds really familiar to our New Testament readers, because it sounds like Jesus, right? And since we're ending with Jesus, remember the promise that He gave to His disciples in Acts one four, as it goes right into what Ezekiel is saying a new heart. And in Acts 1-4, he says this, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about before. And what was that gift? The Holy Spirit, that nature and character and power of Jesus deposited right into his followers. What a gift. All right. I'll end with that inspiration. We'll get to Exodus next week. I mentioned we were going to go there. We haven't gotten there yet. It'll be a great fit into part two of this Imagine Dragon Field look into our Bibles. All right. Have a great week and God bless you. Thanks for listening.